the podcast of the Doral Vineyard Church. This is a message by Denver Lee. So we're going through Psalm 139, and as we go through Psalm 139, um, it, this is a psalm that is written by David. And as this psalm is, which is written by David, um, we, we, we talked a little bit about David last week, not too much. But I want to read through um, 1 Samuel 13. And if, if we could start there, because before we jump into the psalm that David wrote, I, I want to make it clear who we're talking about here and, and, and why the, the author of this psalm is so important as well as what he's saying in the psalm. So I'm going to go from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13. And in 1 Samuel, is, Israel has their first king. So, so, so God, God has chosen to represent himself in the world and to, and to, to bless the entire world through a group of people, the Israelites. So, so when, when, when God chooses to show us himself and to show us his goodness, he chooses a small group of people and he blesses them. And he says, this is how the entire world is going to know me and experience me. This is how the entire world is going to be blessed through me. And these are the Israelites. And at some point, the Israelites get a king. So there are kings and there are prophets. Uh, amongst other positions that they set up in their structure, there's kings and prophets. Their first king is King Saul. And King Saul becomes the, the, the authority of God on the earth. So that's what kings are in the Old Testament. The kings of, of, of the Israelites, they are God's authority represented in the earth. So God rules from heaven through the king on the earth. So, so, so God's authority is expressed through the king. And then there are the prophets, and, and the prophets bring the voice of God, the, they bring the thoughts of God, they bring the heart of God into the earth. So the prophets bring the heart, and the king brings the authority, and, and, and this is something that has happened with the king of the Israelites, the first king that they have, King Saul. And um, what is happening, Saul, Saul is getting ready to go to battle with the Philistines. So the, the Philistines have about 6,000 men, and they're getting ready to go to war with the Israelites, and the Israelites at this time have about 600. So if you do that math, they're not really positioned to win this battle, right? So the Philistines have 6,000, the Israelites have 600, um, and, and King Saul knows that they're set up all around him, and they're getting ready to attack him. You ever have those times where you just know, like, everything is set up to work against you? And then what Saul does is Saul goes into a panic. So Saul recognizes this whole thing is set up for me to not win. And so he panics and he does what he thinks is right for him to, to do. And he doesn't wait for the prophet to give his sacrifice unto the Lord. So, so it is the prophet who is supposed to come and give his sacrifice unto the Lord. The, the prophet is running a little bit late. And so what King Saul does is he panics, right? Um, and I feel for King Saul in this because oftentimes when my blessing is late, I panic as well. When I feel like God should show up in a time where he didn't show up and I, need, I feel like he should have showed up yesterday because I needed the answer yesterday. So I don't need you to come tomorrow when I need the answer today. So if by midnight you don't show up and the day has ended, I have the right to go into a panic because you didn't show up when I needed you to show up. So if God is not going to be powerful on my behalf, I'm going to be powerful on my behalf. That's kind of the mindset that King Saul has, kind of the mindset that everyone in this room kind of has from time to time. God didn't show up, so therefore... Let me gird up my own loins and start to do what I need to do because I need to protect me if God is not going to protect me. Though we may not put it into those words, but if we're honest, that is where our heart falls a lot of the time. 
right? Uh, Jesus says, don't defend yourself. God will defend you. All of you still defend yourselves, <laughs> right? Because like, well, if God isn't doing it, then surely I should. Um, and that's the position that Saul finds himself in. So, so, so Saul offers a sacrifice um, instead of the prophet. So I'm, I'm going to jump down to um, chapter 13, verse 8. Um, then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. Samuel is the prophet. So Samuel said that he would be there in seven days. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So, so because it wasn't happening, the troops saw the 6,000 were camped out and ready to attack them. And they were like, I don't think we're going to win this, so I'm pulling back. Right? And so the, the numbers are now shrinking, and Saul is the leader. He's supposed to lead these people into battle. God has always shown up. He's expecting God to show up again. And there's been a pattern. The prophet comes and does the sacrifice, then the Israelites win. The prophet comes, does the sacrifice, blesses them, the Israelites win. This is a pattern that's been happening. And then now Saul says that the pattern is not happening because the prophet is late. The prophet is late, so I'm going to do what I need to do because Samuel is late. But Samuel did not come to, to, Gil, to Gilgal, and the people— this is the army, were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here. And he offered burnt offerings to the Lord. Now it happened that as soon as he finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came. As soon as he finished the thing that he was to wait for, he did it himself. And as soon as he was done, then Samuel came. That is the, oh crap moment, where you realize, ah, I should have just waited a little bit longer. If I just waited a little bit longer, then maybe this thing would have happened in the way that God had prescribed for it to happen. Verse 11, then Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the the days appointed and the Philistines were gathered at Mishmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down to me at Gilgal, and I, will, and I will not have made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel. It says, if you would have just waited, if you just waited a few more hours, everything would have went according to the plan that God had for you. But because you didn't wait, you, you didn't wait for the Lord to come through and you chose to bless yourself instead of waiting for God to bless you, Samuel is now telling Saul that the, the kingdom, the authority that God has given him, because you remember God is ruling through the king. So God's rule in heaven is expressed on earth through the king. And he says, the kingdom is now going to be taken from you because you have all the authority authority, and in the authority that you had, you did not make good use of it. Verse 14, uh, this is Samuel still talking to Saul. He says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people. So this is, so, so now God, and, and, and it's really specific in what God is saying, because Saul chased after the resources. Saul saw the pattern of what God would do. And he said, if I, just, if, if I just abide by this pattern, then God will do the thing because he's looking for the power that comes from the pattern. Do you know what that's called? That's called religion. If, if you're looking for the power that comes from the, the pattern. So it's like, if I go to church at least twice a month, there's power that comes from the pattern that God blesses me. Hey, today is the sixth. Um, yesterday, <laughs> that was a rabbit trail. Um, yes, yesterday was one year since we've been pastoring this church. And 
no, I'm saying, not saying that, I'm saying that because I'm, I'm about to say something that, uh, so over the past year, the Lord had, had really pressed on, on my heart that, uh, especially from the pulpit, that I, I just never uh, was to speak of money. So I, I never talked about money, never talked about giving. Some of you are like, yes, I, that's why I've been coming. Uh, but the year has ended. The year has ended. And we are a day into it. No. <laughs> <It's> the, <laughs> I knew this was a setup. <laughs> I knew this was a setup. Listen, God has been good to us. God, God, God has been so good to us. Let me tell you, this is the, the floors. We, you guys like the, the floors? We, we got, for those of you who, who, who are new and, and you're here for the, for the first time, we, we've had these, I could talk about them now that they're gone. We had these raggedy, tore up, old, dirty, nasty carpets. And God has blessed us with them. He blessed us with them and they were good. But we, we, we recently, uh, this, this past week, had them removed and, and put some work in t- into the floor. And, and this is about $60,000 worth of work that was done for free. Like someone volunteered to come down and bust it out and made this thing work. So this is, God, God has been faithful to us. God has been good. And, and, and e- even, even in given, however, even in given, the, the power of the pattern, I think, sometimes still. I, and, and this, and you, some of you can be at ease. You've never heard me talk about money before. It may be in a way that a lot of you, especially those of you who give faithfully, uh, may not even agree with some of the things that I believe about given. Um, but while there is power in the pattern, because it did work, every time Saul. Every time Samuel made a sacrifice unto the Lord, the Lord did bless them and they did win the battle. There was power in the pattern. But you have to know that what God is saying here is that he found himself someone who wasn't looking for power in the pattern. He found someone who was looking for the source of the power. He wasn't looking for the resource. He was looking for the source. And so even, even in giving... And I know that a lot of people talk about giving. If, if you just, the power of the pattern, you will be blessed. Yes, you will. But that's not what God is looking for. God is not looking for you to be able to, 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 to give sacrificially so that you may um, a, appeal to this pattern and therefore get the power of the blessing in your life. That is not God's best. Yes, there is a power in the pattern. I do believe that if you give and you give faithfully, God will bless you. I absolutely believe that. But that's not the mantra of the message that God has given me because powers and p- the power of pattern is simple. It even exists within witchcraft. There's, there's power in pattern. But what I'm talking about here is that God has called us to search for something deeper, the source from where the power comes. And this is why God says, listen, Saul, you are searching after the power that comes from following the pattern. But I have found one who is after my own heart. He is after the place where the power comes from, and I'm choosing him to be in charge. David probably doesn't know anything about this pattern. David is a shepherd. David doesn't know anything about being a king. But what David does know, he sees God's power, and David is not—listen, guys. David is not impressed with power. David is like, there's power— where is it coming from? I don't just want, I don't just want outlets on the wall. I, I want to go to the power plant. 
I want to go to the power plant and find out how the power is getting to these walls. Some of you are just interested in plugging into the walls and just receiving power. That's good. But God is calling you to move out of the house and get to the power plant because there's, there's a source. And God says, that's the one who I'm calling to be king because he's after my own heart. That is so much greater. And that is why God chooses David. And God says this about David before David was ever a king. Right? And, and so I know a lot of times we, we talk about David in, in that David and Bathsheba and all the stuff that David did. And, and God says that, God, that, that, that David was a man after his own heart. God said this about David before David was king, before David met Bathsheba, before any of this happened, there was something about David that chased after the source of God's power and not just God's power in and of itself. That's what God is referring to. And most of these Psalms were written retrospectively, meaning that if, if you read through the Psalms, there's a lot of the Psalms that talks about battle and war. They're not writing these things in the middle of the battlefield most of the time. It's after everything is over, they come back, they retreat, and they reflect and recall, and they write, right? Just, they, they, they recap what has happened, and then they write these Psalms. So Psalm 139 contains the conclusions, and it contains the convictions of a man who has gone after God's own heart. This is, when, you, when we read through Psalm 139, you are reading the conclusions of a man who has chased after God. He hasn't chased after power, but he got it. He hasn't chased after victory, but he got it. He didn't chase after success, but he got it. Psalm 139 is about a man who has come to conclusions about God after he has chased after God himself. And that, that's what's powerful about Psalm 139. So last week, we, we, we went through um, verse 1 through 6. I'm just going to recap a little bit uh, from Psalm 139, verse 1 through 6, for, for those who weren't here. David starts to write. He says, Oh Lord, you have searched me. He says, God has already come to the end of him, and, and God is not still trying to figure him out. God is not trying to figure you out still. God has figured you out. He has searched you. He's come to the end of you. And David says, And you know me which means that there's total knowledge. God has total knowledge of David. He's searched him. He's gone to the depths of him. He's dug through him. He found everything out about him and he completely knows him. He says, you know my sitting down. That is, he knows your limits. You know my rising up. He knows what motivates you and he understands my thoughts afar. It means that God doesn't just know you, but he also understands you. And, and it is one heck of a thing to be understood. It is something to be understood. For those of you who are married, you'll understand, for someone to understand you. Your spouse might know you, but when they understand you, like you're looking for someone to understand you. you just how many of you said, you just don't understand me? You just don't understand. You hear what I'm saying, and you understand the circumstance, but you just don't understand. Because to understand you means that you have to understand more than what I'm saying and more than what I've done. Listen, guys, listen, listen. When God understands you, he understands more than what you've done. He understands more than what you've said. He understands more than the product of your life. He understands the source of you. And he says, you know me. That's what it means to, to, to know you, to know stuff about you that hasn't been produced from you yet. You haven't even gone that far, but he knows you. This is why God says of David, a man after my own heart, David said, God knows me. He knows where this is going. He doesn't need to see me sleep with Bathsheba to know the heart that would. 
He knows the stuff that's inside of me. And this is what's amazing about his conclusion. He says uh, in verse three, you comprehend my path. He knows where this whole thing is going. He knows my laying down. He, he, he knows where this thing is going to end. He says, you are acquainted with all my ways for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, you know it. He knows what you're going to say before you even say it. And you have hedged me in behind and before. That is, he knows your past behind and before. He knows your future And this is the greatest to me, he says, and you lay your hand upon me. That's right now. He knows where you are right now. And he lays his hand upon you right now. So he's there in your past. He's there in your future. And his hand is on you right now. And this is the omnipresence of God. And we said the omnipresence is the all presence of God. Omni means all and and presence means here. Like he's present. Um, and so he's present here. And this is, I was thinking about presence last night and I I think I just fell asleep because I was trying to like think through stuff that just, I couldn't wrap my mind around. But like, like all present, I mean, like God, God, God is here because I'm here. So he's here in my here. But if someone else is there, he's here in their there also. So he's everywhere. So he's here in my here. He's there in their here. In the China, in China, with the Chinese people, he's there and there here also. He's omnipresent. He's always present all the time with every person who's present. If people are present, God is present. If substance is present, God is present. That is the omnipresence that he is where you were. He's still there where you were. He, he is where you are and he is where you're going. He's in all places at all times. He sees all and he knows all. And we talked about how this can be comfortable or it could be uncomfortable, right? This could be something that's comforting, that God knows me and sees me, or it could be completely uncomfortable depending on what you think about God. If you believe that God is one who's looking at you and pointing the finger and looking for the fault, this is going to be wildly uncomfortable for a God who sees you and knows everything. I lived with this kind of God for a really long time where I thought that God was just watching me. When I, when I first heard that God is watching me, it's like, I don't like this. Because I do things that if he's a holy God, I don't want him to see them. Like, I don't want him to see everything that I'm doing all the time. Because he is holy and he is righteous. And you all tell me that he's judge and that there's a fiery furnace and there's all this other kind of stuff. Like, I don't want him to watch me all the time. He has power to send me to hell. I don't want him watching me. So these are some of the, the conclusions. And then we read from uh, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, where, where we says the motivation for God's seeking has to be understood. And, and I want this to be the springboard for us here. Why is God watching me? Why is he searching me? Why, why is his eyes always on me? Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong. He's looking for weak places in your life to show himself strong. He's not looking to show you the finger. He's looking to show you his strength. This is, this is our God. That's why he's searching you out. He's searching you out. He's looking for places to show himself strong. And this is the omnipresence of God. In the omnipresence of God, you can be confident that God knows you. He's everywhere in everything, all the time, past, present, future. He's there. That's the omnipresence. And then we talked about the manifest presence. The manifest presence is where the omnipresence becomes something that's real and tangible here for you now. And that's where you get to know him back. So in the omnipresence, God knows you. In the manifest presence is a place where you get to know him personally. 
And this is why in Jesus Christ, the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God collide in such a way that the God who is everywhere becomes a God that is here for the first time. He's present in a person. And this is the manifest presence of our God. And so David taps into, in, into what I call the personal omnipresence. And, and the personal omnipresence means that God's omnipresence applies to you personally as you grow closer to, to, to him. So many people have theologies like God is everywhere. You know, and we teach our kids that God is everywhere all the time, right? Like God is, God is afar. He's in other countries with other people. God is listening to all their prayers. We can stay in our homes and pray for other people because God is everywhere. And, and that's a really good theology, and that's really true. But it doesn't make him present with you. It doesn't make it personal. It makes God kind of like, like a blanket, that he's just, he covers everything. This is more like pantheism. In pantheism, um, and, and, and there are many tribes who, and, and many religions still, that still have, have, have theology of God that is more like the pantheism. In the pantheism, they believe that God created everything, so therefore God created everything with the image of himself. So when they say God is everywhere, they mean that God created you, so peace of God is in you, so that's why God is everywhere. They say that God created animals, God created nature. So, so the pantheism belief is that since God created nature, then God exists within nature. So when we say God is everywhere, we're not talking about an omnipresent God who's apart from nature. We're saying that God is within nature, nature is everywhere, and that's pantheism. But what, but what David is talking about is a God who's personal, who's afar, who exists outside of creation and watches creation. And then we see at some point he comes into creation, not as a tree, not as the sun, not, not as the moon. You guys understand some of these nomadic kind of religions. He doesn't come to us as these, as these animals. He, he's, he's not in creation in that kind. That's not what David is saying. David is saying that, that he's apart from creation, all over creation, and it sets us up for the point where he comes in into creation in the person of Christ. So we are not pantheists. We don't believe that God being everywhere means that he's in us and that's what makes him everywhere. That is true. It's not that that's not true, but that's not what we mean when we talk about the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God is that God is apart from creation, seeing all of creation, and at some point he manifests himself into creation, not as something that he created, but the creator himself manifests himself into creation, and that is the manifest presence of God. So after telling us what he knows about the presence of God, David rightfully concludes, and this is verse 6. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high, and I can't attain it. And, 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 and this is, I can't even begin to understand the presence of God. And for those of you who've ever experienced the presence of God, you will come to this conclusion, I can't even begin to understand the presence of God. This is a, I understand it enough only to understand that I don't understand it. Like, as, if, if, you come to a, if you come to a place in your theological understanding where you understand a whole lot, if you don't conclude that you don't understand much, your theology is wrong. <laughs> if, if, you, if you have come to a place where you have capitalized the theology of God and you know it really well and all of it is true and you got it all figured out, you have nothing. The moment that you box up God, it's not God that you have in a box. You have an idol. And theology can become your idol. This is the place of humility that Jesus talks about, where you humble yourself under the little bit of knowledge that you have over a huge God who can do anything, will do anything, and he has done anything that he wants to. The moment that your theology boxes up what God can do, you have a little idol and you no longer have a God. 
Our God is unsearchable. He is unfathomable. He is unattainable. The moment that you attain him and you find him and, you have a ca- and you've capitalized on him, you have lost him. You've lost him. So we said, well, God is like this, and I, and I just know it. God, you've lost him already. Until you can, you know, for those of us who was in our leadership meetings, until you can understand God like this, palms open, but I just don't understand. Like, and what I do understand, I'll step into it today and tomorrow. It, it may not be true for me anymore. You guys ever experienced that? It's like, it was true for me today, but as soon as I step into tomorrow, it's no longer true for me tomorrow. It's like, it's like, it's like manna. Like I ate it today. It was really good, but tomorrow it doesn't work anymore. This is why you have to be men and women after his heart. This is why you have to be after his heart, not the pattern not the stuff that every time we, this is, this is how denominations are formed. We found the pattern. We have capitalized on what makes God come. We, we figured it out. And then we have all of the denominations because we capitalize on the right theology. And the only theology that I can really say that I've capitalized on is that I really don't know much. So if you're sitting here today saying, my pastor needs to know a lot, you're in the wrong place. Because the more that I find him, the more that I lose him, so the more I seek him. And it's an ongoing love fest with my God. Because every time you find him, there's just more to him than you've ever found. And you have to seek that out. The moment that you have an answer, it it creates more questions And so if you're settled on the answer, you've lost the questions and God is in the questions. And it's the glory of men to seek him out. And so when all of that is applied, that God is everywhere and God is in everything, then we go to Psalm 139. And this is what I want to read through for today. uh, Verse uh, 7 to verse 12 of Psalm 139. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it's fine. Just bring it with you next time. If you don't have a Bible, please let us know. If, if, if you don't have a Bible, grab one of those Bibles that's o- over there and just take it with you. If you don't have a Bible, like those are for you to take. Like we will, um, we will not press charges. We will not. Pre- if you take two, we might. Take one Bible. Take one Bible. Someone will be watching you. Don't take two. <laughs> they make great coasters, I know, but don't take two. All right. Actually read it. Psalm, Psalm, Psalm 139, uh, verse 7 to verse 12. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me. Even the night shall be light around me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. This is David's conclusion about God. This is a man who is after God's own heart. He, go, he runs after God. And listen, guys, he runs after God. This is David. It, it, scripture talks about that like David is, is one of the most passionate people for God. David runs after God. And this is his conclusion. He's given us his conclusion about God. This is what he finds about God after searching. After, he says, where can I go from your spirit? He says, there's not a place that I can wind up where, where you're not. Like there is no place that your life can wind up where God will not be there. 
you can't sin your way out of God's presence. There is not a trail that you can follow in your life where God will no longer be there. That's why Jesus says, I will be with you to the end. And that's comforting. When Jesus says, I'll be with you to the end, to me, it's kind of like, of course, because, you, because you're, you're everything everywhere. I can't, like, how could you not be with me to the end? Because I can't make a wrong turn. The, the great thing about the sovereignty of God is that the moment that you make a wrong turn, he changes the whole map and makes the wrong turn right. You can't escape your way from God's love. David says that, where can I go to hide from you? He says, I can't go anywhere can't go anywhere. And he says, or where can I flee from your presence? So if you just, you know, if, if you're walking with your head down and you just end up to go in the wrong direction, like how many of, how many of you have just kind of like stumbled into stuff and you wake up and realize how the heck did I wind up here? <laughs> Some of us, <laughs> like many people, like, like I, I've, I've, I've worked with, with many folks, you know, um, as, as a police officer, I, in, in making arrests, I, I, I really get to have like personal conversations with, with, with people who are really broken. And oftentimes, um, if you're really sincere, I find that people do open up to you. Like if you're just really sincere, you know, uh, people do open up to you if they find out that you really care. And I've had so many conversations with, with people in the, in, in the backseat of my car as I take them to jail. And they're like, I don't know how I got here. Like, how did I wind up? Like, I used to have a family. I haven't seen my kids. Like, how did I get here? Like, how did I end up having to break into a house? How did I end up having crack rocks in my pocket? How? I never saw this. I never saw this. Like, they, they were someone's children who was, who was opening up gifts on Christmas and taking pictures with their family. And they were going out to dinner like everyone else. They had cars and jobs. They were just like us. And they just kind of stumbled into something somewhere, tripping over untied shoes, it seems. And they just found themselves, landed on their faces, questioning, how did I get here? That's what David says. Where can I go? Where can I go from your spirit? Because even there, and this is the message I get to share with them, is that I don't care where you've fallen, God is there. There's nowhere that you can wind up that he won't be there. And David says, where can I flee? So even if you just wind up there or if you're running there, some people run towards those things. And whether you fall into it or whether you run into it, you cannot escape him. He is still there. He is still there. And, and this, this could be good or bad also. And then this is David's conclusion. He says, if I ascend into the heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in hell, you're also there. And, and this is just the great extreme. This is the, the two greatest extreme that God cannot be phased. God is not phased by anything. And when he talks about heaven and hell, I, it's, there, there's some people who believe that he, he's talking about, you know, like how we consider heaven and hell. But, but in, in, the, in that time, which I do believe that um, the, the Hebrew people at this time didn't have the same idea of heaven and hell as we have here as New Testament believers. So heaven and hell probably means something more like if I ascend the highest of heights, if I like ascend the highest philosophies, if I theologize my way into something greater it's, if, if, I, if, if I have the open mind and I understand great things and that will even outshadow God, if you change your theology to where you no longer sin, to ascend the heights. Like smoking weed is not a, 
like God's creation. Maybe you should be more open-minded. And I ascend the heights. He says, even if you, even if you get there, <laughs> my weed smokers are like, I don't like this message. <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like this. I see you. I'm not going to look at you now. I'm going to look down, but I see you. You know, um, <laughs> but it's like, no matter. <laughs> Sorry. All right, I'll stop. Don't, just don't smoke weed. It's not good. All right. So, 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 so David says in verse 9, I'm just going to move on. Verse 9, if I take the wings of the morning, and that is, you know, as the sun rises and, and it rises over the water, it's traveling at the speed of light. You know, if, if, you, if you look more in, into the theology of what he's saying, but he's talking about if I travel at the speed of light and dwell in the outermost parts of the sea, if I just wake up one morning and I run faster than light and I go into a place where there's nothing and no one in the beauty of creation, in the place of uttermost loneliness— if you, if you just run, how many of you just wake up one, like I told my wife the other day, I was like, I just want to run, like, because I've been working for the past two, two weeks, like crazy long days. And yesterday I was like, I just, I just want to, I just want to run. I just want to, I just want to get away. I just want to go. You guys ever get that? Just me? Okay. If you have kids, you get it. If you have kids, you get it. Like when they wake up, like, ah, you're like, I just want to run. I just want to go. I just want to flee, you know? And this is <laughs> terrible parent. But, but he says, I, I just, I just, I just want to run. I just want to flee in, in, into a place. Like I, I want to get out of here fast and I want to get to a place where there's nothing and then there's no one. If I get there, David says, even there, your hand shall lead me. Like, these are, this is the conclusion of a man who has searched after God's own heart. Even there, if I run away from all my problems by ascending the heights, if I run away from my problems by going into the depths, if, if, if I start to pop pills to get rid of my problems, if, if I can get to the lowest parts, David says, even there, your hand shall lead me. Even there, his hand will lead you. And he says, even there, your right hand shall hold me. And the presence of God is not just about God being present. Listen to this, the presence of God. And when we use terminology like the presence of God, we don't mean that God is present. God is present everywhere. When, when we say the presence of God or to be in God's presence, we're not talking about to be in a place where God is present because God is present everywhere. What, what we're saying is, is, is the presence of God is a place where God being present everywhere becomes a reality where you are because he's expressing his character. He's expressing his nature. He's, he's, he's revealing to you who he is. This is why David says, your right hand shall lead me. I'm sorry, your, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me because it is about God's character being expressed no matter where you are. And that's, 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 the, that's the meat of David's conclusion about God. I don't care where you are today. I don't care where you've stumbled into. You, some of us, your, your marriage might be on the rocks. 
Your, 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 your job might be the most stressful thing in the world. Your home life might just be falling apart. You might just not have the right words to reach after that one person who's getting away and their lives are going down the drain and you just want to save them. You don't know, like you, you might be running so far that you forget that you're running. Like wherever you might be today, David is saying that wherever you go, it's not just God is present everywhere. He's saying the manifest presence of God, that God's character is being expressed, that his hand is still going to lead you. And his right hand, that is his strong hand, that is his powerful hand, is going to hold you. And this is, this is the thing that you have to understand about the presence of God. This is why we talk about being in God's presence and worship, being in God's presence, reading the word, being in God's presence. Because it's not that God doesn't hold you if you don't. This is good. Okay, listen. You remember what I said about patterns and power, right? Being in the presence of God cannot become another pattern in power. To where if I wake up early in the morning and read the Bible, then I'm a good Christian and therefore God's power is going to be on me for today. That does happen, but that can't be what you go after. That, that can't be, it, it, it does happen. Listen, if I open up this mic, I can tell you at least 10 people who I can call and they will tell you, Every day I spend time and God does this. And they could tell you about pattern of power. And I'm not saying that's not real. I'm saying it's absolutely true. But what I'm saying is that's not what we're going after. What we're going after is the realization and the revelation that even if I don't follow the pattern of the power, that his presence is still there. What the pattern of the power does, it allows you to, 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 to know, to understand that God is there. Most of the time when I tell people about the presence of God being where they are, I'm not bringing God's presence in there. Their eyes are opening up to the presence of God that's already there. As a minister, like to usher in God's presence, I mean, I, I know we use this terminology and I'm, 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 I'm not anything on, on, on the terminology. God's presence is in people's lives and they just need to see it. Like, that's the gospel. Jesus says the, the kingdom of heaven is in you, it's among you. The problem is not that the kingdom needs to come. The problem is that your eyes need to open to the power. Your eyes need to open to the fact that wherever you are, that God is still there. Because you don't think he's there, and that's why you're still dwindling down, because you don't believe that he's there. But David is saying that he is there. If you can't sense him, that's the omnipresence. You can't escape him. He's there. I don't care what you're in, what you're going through. He is there. And the moment that you believe it, the moment that your eyes open up to it, then you can benefit from it. He's there. Guys, he's there. He's there. He's there. He's there. He's there. He's there. And, and, and if you just, just, you're there. Sometimes you got to make that confession. I know you're there. I know you're there. I can't hear you. Can't see you. Can't feel you. I know you're there. Sometimes I'm in the bathroom and I hear my little kids. Like, I just, I just feel like they're out there. I just feel like they're standing outside the bathroom door waiting for me. So I stand there a little longer because I want to run away and be, be by myself sometimes. But I know that they're there. I just know. How many of you, like, you just know that they're there. Sometimes I'm sleeping and he's just over my head. Like, I know you're there. I know you're there. I know you're there. I know that you're there can't see you, but I just know you're there. You ever just feel like someone's watching you? You ever just feel that? Like, like, like you're, you're in the mall or you're walking and you just feel like someone is watching you. You don't see them. You just know that they're there. And then what do you do? You turn around and sure enough, eyes locked. You're like, oh, you're watching me go the other way. I know who this fool is. You just know there's something in you that just knows. And that's what's alive. David says he's there. 
You just need to know that he's there. You need to believe that he's there. Your eyes need to open to the fact that he's there, that his hand is leading you, his right hand is holding you, that he has never left you, he's never forsaken you, that he's everywhere, but he's also right here. That's the manifest presence of our God, that he's right here, and you've got to believe it. <laughs> you've you got to believe it. You say, well, devil, I don't know. I, I haven't seen... I'm going through some things that I haven't seen God show up yet. I'm still hurting in my body. I'm still, I'm still suffering with depression. This thing still hasn't come, come through. <sighs> Whatever. I need to move forward. But, but, but what I'm saying is that it, it doesn't matter whether you sense him or not. I told, uh, when I was the, the youth pastor, I shared with the group once that God always, always moves every time you pray. There's never a prayer that you have that God doesn't move on. Every single one of them. And they're like, well, I just prayed for this thing and it didn't happen. I'm not saying that God is giving you everything you pray for. I'm saying that every time you press in, that there's something that happens. Whether you see it, whether you feel it or not, there's something that is happening every time that you press in. You've got to believe that and you've got to know that. God is always doing something. He's always communicating. What? I'm so glad God did not give me everything I prayed for. And maybe one day when I pass on, they will publish my journal and you will understand why. I am so glad that God does not give me everything I pray for. Because some of the things that I pray for are not connected, but, but God, but he just, he, he, he's, he's already searched me. He already knows me. He knows the depths of me. So the stuff I'm saying is coming from brokenness. It's coming from my past. It's coming from my hurt. Like, like Lord, just, just send this person out of Miami. Like, I'm, I, I'm asking God to interrupt whole families to bless me. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just, it's stupid. But God knows what I mean. And so what he does instead is he speaks to my heart to, to, to make these relationships work. He doesn't send them away. But, he, but he, he knows what I mean. And so I can't wake up in the morning and say, God didn't send that family away. They're, they're still here. Like, and their dog is still pooping on my lawn, and I, and I need them to leave, right? God didn't answer that prayer, but, but he does something in the mix because he, he searched me, and he knows the depths of me, and he knows what I really mean, and that's what he's responding to. That's what David is saying, that you've got to believe and that you've got to understand. I'm not going to finish. Um, so verse 11, he says, if, if I say surely... The darkness shall fall on me. And in scripture, darkness is evil. Darkness means the, that, that God's presence is voided. That God's presence is not there. Like, I can't sense it. Darkness can't see. Um, darkness is the absence of light, right? Um, scientifically, we understand that darkness is the absence of light. And he says, even the night shall be light about me. So David's saying this. Listen, he's saying that if the darkness falls on me, darkness falling on me, it's just like, it's just like, it just, just happens. Like, nothing sets you up for that. How many of you have ever been in a car accident? All right. If, you, if you've been in a car accident, you didn't, you woke up that day. Like, it, it is the biggest shock of life. If, if, you, if you don't curse, you will probably say some things. In that because it's like, it just falls on you. Like, I didn't walk into it, didn't see it coming. It just falls on me. But it's a moment. We, we clean it up. And then we move forward. The insurance company covers it. Life gets better again. So, so David says, sometimes darkness just falls on you. But he says, sometimes the light around me, the atmosphere is darkness. It's not just an accident. It's an accident. And I broke my leg. So now I can't go to work. And I got a ticket. Now I got to go to court. I don't have a car. Now I've just lost my job because I can't go to work. I got to pay for this ticket. Got to pay for this car. And I still got all these things that I need. 
everything around me is just dark now. It's not just that darkness fell on me. The light around me has become darkness. And everyone is mad at me because I ruined the car. Like, it's just everything around you. And then that's going to be the same week where your kids got something crazy going on. That's going to be the same time when some family member is going to tell you something that's off the hand. That's the time when everybody gets crazy. Everybody just gets, as soon as, like, maybe I'm the only one. There's some times when, like, everything just starts to fall apart. Like, you just, everything. Like, people at church start getting nasty with you. Like, you just, you just everything. And then you get home, your wife, your, your husband, it's, it's everything. Everything just falls apart. You rent a car, it doesn't work. They charge you too much. Take it to the mechanic, they, they screw you over with the cost. It, it, just, it just down, everything around you gets dark. This is what David is saying, that even the light that's around me is night. Everything is dark. It's not just that something bad happens, it's that everything that's happening is bad. David said, indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as day. And the darkness and the light are both lights. And he says, I can't even hide. Even in that darkness, he sees you. Even when everything around you is black as night and you can't see him, he said that his light is there and that he sees you. He sees you even in the midst of that and that darkness cannot even hide. Your dark situation is not hiding from God. The, 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 the places in our lives where it's like, I go through seasons and I'll talk about me because I know that some of you do too, but I go through seasons in my life where it's like my greatest repentance is like, Lord, I haven't even thought about you. I haven't even sought you in in this. Like I just went through like this whole situation and God wasn't even the thing that was on my mind because I was so concerned about the things themselves. And what David is saying that even in that, where you're blind to him, his eyes are wide open to you. And as soon as your eyes open back up to his manifest presence, that's where the intimacy is. But he never takes his eyes off of you, even when your heart is away from him and your eyes are away from him. Uh, Matthew 1, says, So this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord to the prophet. This is uh, the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. So when Jesus comes, Jesus comes as the testament, the final testament, the unquestionable testament of what David is talking about. What David is talking about is poetic, it's picture, it sounds nice, it sounds great. If, if I was in your seat, maybe two, two days, I don't know, whatever. If I was in your seat some time ago, I would say, you know, pastor, that sounds real poetic, that sounds real nice, but it doesn't connect to real life. And this is God's response to that. He says, all right. I'm going to manifest my presence in the earth. I'm, I, the virgin shall have a child and he will be called God with you. So that there's no question. There is no question as to whether or not God's presence is with you. I'm talking about the manifest presence of God showing up. He's always watching you. He's in the darkness. God says, I'm going to give you a final answer to this. The virgin is going to have a child. Isaiah prophesies about 500 years before Jesus is even born. He says, there is going to become a day when the virgin will have a child. And when the virgin has a child, he's going to be called God with you because he's going to be God with you. It is unquestionable. 
there is no doubts as to whether or not God is with you in the person of Christ. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life. Everyone say life. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. He shines into the darkness. So everything that David talks about, Jesus becomes. Jesus becomes God with you. The God who was always with you watching you, Jesus becomes that with you. In him was life, and, and, and that life was the light of men. In the darkness that David's talking about, Jesus comes as the final testament of everything that David talks about. John eight twelve says, Then Jesus spoke to, spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have light. He says, I, I'm, I'm the light that David was saying, that in darkness, that God is always there there, I have become that thing that's always there. If you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness. You may be in darkness, but you don't have to walk in darkness because your eyes are opened up to the Christ. Your eyes is opened up to God with you. First John 1, 5, this is the message which we have heard from him to declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. There is no darkness in him. Jesus comes as the final testament that God is with you. This is, this is what Advent is all about. Advent is all about the the final arrival of God with you, that he is with you. There's no greater message for this season than God is with you, Emmanuel. This is the reason that Jesus comes, not to bless, but he comes to bring you the heart of God. What is the heart of God? He actually wants to be with you. He actually wants to live alongside you. This is a God who doesn't want to be apart from you. And the omnipresence of God is manifested in the person of Jesus. And Jesus comes and he shows us what God is really like. If you're still questioning what God is really like, if you read through the Gospels, you will see through Jesus. He's the final testament of all that God is. I shared last week that that God is the one who finds and defends the disenfranchised because that's what Jesus does. He looks for them. He looks for you and he finds you. The eyes of the, the Lord roams to, throughout the earth looking for places to be strong. When Jesus comes, he walked the earth looking for places to be strong. He gives you the heart of our God. He finds and comforts the lonely. This is what Jesus does. This is who God is. He finds and he heals the sick. He's looking for the sick so that he could heal them. He finds the outsider and he brings them in. He, he, he brings family. He, this, is, this is the heart of who our God is. He finds the guilty and he makes them innocent. He finds the lost and he saves them. This is what he is like. This is the manifest presence of God. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me and keep my commands, I will pray, that the fa- I'll pray to the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And the Holy Spirit comes and he abides. God wants to be with you. Emmanuel, the omnipresence become the manifest presence and God is with you. And verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. And, and, and then finally, at, towards the, the end of, um, I think it's verse 21, he says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. He will manifest himself to you. God will... The, omnipre- the thing that you know about, he will manifest himself to you and he will become present. I'm going to end with um, John, John 8. And in John 8, this is the, the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. And John 8 is, is, is also going to have the daily Bible readings for this week. If you can put up the, 
the daily Bible reading. If you could just jot those, those down as we move forward. Um, and the way that the daily Bible readings work is you're reading a whole section, but piece by piece each day, and you just move, move forward. They're short sections, and the reason why they're short sections is because I'm not asking you to become more theologically sound. I'm asking you to actually read it and to reflect and to spend time with the Lord and to hear from Him because God is with you and God wants to speak to you. And this is just to help you to spend time with Him and just to hear the Holy Spirit and, and, and whatever He's speaking to you to believe it and to pursue it, right? So um, Monday... Um, is, 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 is going to be 12 to 14, and then 12 to 16, uh, 12 to 18, and then 12 to, to 19, right? And we'll give you a little break for the rest of it. But it's just a short section that I, I just, just want to focus on that short section. John, John 8, this is speaking of Jesus. It says, now early in the morning, Jesus came to the temple again, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them, right? This is God. God comes to the temple, the people sat down, and, and God teaches them. Verse 3, and the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Verse 5, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. And so they continued asking him, And he raised himself up, and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. And again he stooped down and wrote in the ground. And those who heard it, uh, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has none condemned you? In verse 11, she said, no one. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. And so go and sin no more. And in verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again. And he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is after this woman is caught in sin. After these people, Jesus is talking to the people, the people who brought this woman to him who was ready to kill her, who was ready to stone her, who was ready to get rid of her because she had sinned. Jesus turns around after he lets her go and he speaks to the people again. And he says, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you won't walk in darkness and you will have life. And and I I think that it, I, I just want to point out really quickly here that Jesus is not talking to the woman, that he's talking to the people who brought the woman to him. And what he's saying is that the thing that you just saw me do for her, all of you guilty people who was ready to kill her, it's also available for you. In the middle of wanting to kill someone and bringing them to God, God says, listen, I'm going to free this person and it's also available for you. He says, you don't have to walk in darkness. The thing that she just had, you can have it too. What's, what's, what's my point? When, when God comes, he doesn't only come for the victims. He comes for the victor as well. He comes for the victimizer. He comes for those who are the predators. He comes for those who are the accusers as well. He comes for those of us, and I say us, he comes to those of us who have caused hurt as well. He doesn't just come to the hurt. He comes to those of us who have caused the hurt as well. 
We hope you enjoyed this message from the Doral Vineyard Church by Denville Leaves. For more information, please visit us at doralvineyard.org. Thank you.